Hi there, and welcome to January Magazine's On Acting, where we talk to actors a little bit about where they've worked, a little bit more about why they've worked, and a lot about how they've worked. Today, I'm joined by Kira Zagorski. Kira is a star of stage and screen. You know her from, of course, Helix and Continuum. But on stage, she did the Canadian premiere of Disgraced, and most recently, the motherfucker with the hat uh, at the Firehall Art Center. Kira, thank you for being on acting. Of course. Uh, the first question is, where were you born and where did you grow up? Um, I was born in New York and um, spent a couple of years there as a child and then moved to Colorado and that's where I grew up. You grew up in Colorado? Yeah. And what was your f- earliest performance? What was your first thing that you knew? Or not knew, but what was your first experience of performance? Uh, I think I was in a, a ballet, which I didn't stick with ballet for long. I didn't really enjoy it. Um, but it was called Make Him Smile. I was a, a flower doll or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And did you know from that moment that you wanted to perform? Was that like the first moment where you felt, this is the thing I want to do? No, I um, I think the thing I was really into when I was a kid, I didn't really th- think about acting. I, w- I wanted to be a rock star, I think. I would like wake up oh, really? and I would... Um, had this fake microphone and I would go into and one of those old record players and stuff. And I would just wake up and roll into the playroom with my music and just start rocking out (laughs) like in second grade i that's all i did was dance make up dances and and sing and yeah i just i think i wanted to be a rock star yeah yeah so when did you (laughs) when did you start becoming an actor i don't know um i uh i moved around a lot and so i think i just was always into new adventures i i played sports mostly through um through school um, especially uh, junior high and high school. I was in competitive gymnastics and I did really well with basketball. And then there was just a point, I think I was in a, I was in a show choir when I was in high school. Yeah. And then my, my teacher had me audition for the musical and that's kind of when I was stepping away from sports, just deciding like, I don't know how far I want to go with this. I was right. just in a different place. And then I got into Into the Woods. And um, I think that I was just like, I was in love with movies and I wanted to write. I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to, I, I, don't, I wanted to travel. I, there was just, a, I was a little bit more um, quiet, I think. And then yeah, yeah. once that happened and I got into, I got into a program in college in Ashland where the Oregon Shakespeare Festival is. And yeah. I got into the BFA program eventually there. And so things started to really happen toward the end of high school, I think, yeah. as far as performing so as an you- actor. Were you uh, were you in performances in high school? Were you involved in the theater in high school? Was it until just after high the school? choir? We would travel around and we would um, we would do these competitions, and it was singing and dancing. So it was like this show choir, yeah. and um, and I loved it, and I loved my teacher. Um, but no, I, I didn't do. I was in sports. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's what I did, yeah. and then um, it, it wasn't really when I, the first time I ever did a monologue was when I was in college, and I remember having to do my final presentation on stage in the big theater there and they bring in all the BFA students and all that and it's just really nerve-wracking. Right. But I didn't really know what all this stuff was. I didn't know what I was doing. And I remember the thing that hooked me was that when I got done, I just kind of went in my own world and I, I remember I had a bunch of props and stuff that I was just doing this activity with it. And I just lost the audience. And at the end, I remember always feeling kind of like an outsider. I felt like the jock in the back or something. <laughs> yes. With I a bunch of weird theater well. high school kids yeah, that had yeah. just gotten into school and um, with all their weird striped socks and always yeah. touching each other. Theater people always want to touch each other. <laughs> uh, why is everybody who's trying to touch? Um, <laughs> and um, 
Yeah, I just remember at the end of it, my teacher saying, uh, he would always ask people, like, so what do you have to say first? And I just said, I remember I didn't really know what to say. And he just said, well, all I have to say is I didn't write anything down. I just wanted to watch you. And that was what made me go, oh, okay. So then I just kept kind of getting into it more and more. And then I got in the BFA program and that was it. Oh, cool. So then uh, that teacher, was he your teacher throughout the BFA program? He was one of them. One of them. Yeah, there was, there was a number of them. And we also got a lot of guest artists from the, um, the Oregon Shakespeare Festival that came in. Right. And also just being exposed to that place and their new plays. And we would have to go there and watch the shows, come back and talk about them. There was multiple classes that were about what was going on with that theater company and and working with that. Yeah. It was incredible. So that was my, I mean, it's just inspiring. Yeah. It was, it was a really, for me, it was a very lucky place to be as far as diving into this world. And for people who don't know the Ashland theater festival is in Oregon and it is Ashland Shakespeare. Shakespeare Yeah. The Oregon Shakespeare festival. And it's a, it's a, tell you tell them. Well, it's, it's basically, it's the place to go to work as an actor right. and to go and see Shakespeare in the United States. It's a town dedicated to that. Yeah. And yeah. They, they they also do a lot of new works that end up going to Broadway. All the Way was something that they workshopped there. And then Brian Cranston starred in it on Broadway. And then they made a movie. You know, things like that. Uh, yeah. those, those are the types of plays that they do there. Cool. Yeah. And so... Uh, that was that where you, you know, where did you, you trained after that or is that where you primarily trained for your acting training? Where did you primarily train? Um, well that was, yeah, that was my BFA program. That was where I felt I had, um, honestly, that was where everything in life and, and learning about acting happened for me. And then I went off and I started working in theater. Um, I got my equity card. I, uh, just did regional theater for a bit, and then um, really? I decided to go into a BF uh, or a master's program in Irvine, and okay. it's a really good master's program. But it was it was a different world because they they take eight of us, and the master's program felt more. Um, it was kind of more about business, but also about teaching acting and about being a part of a company. So it was, it was a different type of thing as, as far as developing as an actor, it was a lot more about me getting technical on the things that I needed to learn. Right. Like how does your voice carry in a, a theater that has, you know, a thousand seats or how do you, whereas my, my training in Ashland was really about just raw, just getting in there and getting dirty with being an actor. You know what I mean? Well, when you were doing the theater training in Ashland, or when you were doing the theater in Ashland, that was where you were doing it in Ashland? When you were getting, you said you got your equity card? That was oh, no, no. Um, I left there because I felt like I could have stayed and tried to audition there, and I, but I decided that I didn't want to just be the tea carrier or something, come on stage and not do anything. I felt like if I really want to grow, I need to go, I have to go book leads. Right. So I'm going to go somewhere where they're going to hire me to play the lead in the play. Right. So that's what I did. So I, <laughs> um, I also went off to New York right away because I wanted to go back and I still had family there and I was stubborn. I went there. Um, I was trying to get a friend to come with me and she was supposed to, and then she bailed the last second. So I went out there with like a suitcase and I went and bought a piece of foam to sleep on off of this <laughs> random dry cleaning place in the middle of Manhattan. Anyway, I stayed with my aunt in the Bronx for a little while. And then I just to get on my feet and figure out where I was going. Then I moved into uh, the upper West side. I was like, we turned the living room into my room with this group of people. 
and I was working in different restaurants and um, got into bartending and just was having this New York adventure. Yeah. And um, I don't know. It was I started kickboxing when I was there because I remember when I was when I was going back and forth into the Bronx, I had some some scary ish incidents that made me feel like um, I grew up in a way that I was just so open with people and yeah. you know, the cat calling and the, and then sometimes getting followed. And I just thought I don't, I need to feel strong when I'm walking down the street. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I just, I just was kind of jumping into a different type of life in New York. Then I went to back to Denver to help my parents move cause they were moving into a new house and I got into this improv company. Um, and I was one of two women. There was, uh, the other woman was practically 20 years older than me. And she was one of the, she was one of the people running the company. Um, so that was, it was strange to be, I was like 22 or something, um, to be one of the only women with this group of 30 plus, you know, just men. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, it was an incredible learning experience because their improv is sort of like how it is in Chicago, you know, it's, It was um, below this, this, it was this amazing theater that was dedicated to that. It was below this brewery near Coors Field and it's just packed houses every night. Right. And so that was paying my rent aside from. Oh, really? Yeah. But I got my equity card at a theater company there doing Wait Until Dark. That's when I started and then Portland Center Stage. So do you feel like uh, in in those formative years of of becoming an actor that there were teachers that were more influential or did you feel you got more practical experience for as in terms of where your foundation is or is it a combination maybe wow that's a good question it's a combination for sure um there's just certain things that happen to you in your life and in the real work experience that you cannot learn in a class you can't be told what it is it's like you have to go through it yeah and for each of us we're seen in a different way the world perceives us in a certain way and the world treats us a certain way. Um, and that is what shapes our unique life experience. And that's always going to be brought to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so even my classmates, they had, some of them may have had a different experience with a certain teacher than I did. Right. And, um, I definitely had some teachers that stuck with me, some of it for good reasons and some of it for, Oh, I, I know now that I never have to deal with that again. Or, right. yeah, um, yeah. but I had, I've, I've always had, you know, the ones that inspired me and said the right thing to me, gave me the, the critiques that I know how to hold on to, because that's just like my thing that I always have to work on as a person or whatever it is. But a lot of these real life experiences were, uh, were super helpful. The improv company was invaluable. It was so hard. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, and it was an incredible thing to learn just about Especially like there was this game we would do called forward reverse and it was a physical game and you do, you're doing a scene but you're making up the movement as you go and you're miming an entire world and yeah. the other person comes in and uses the same cup that you just sat down even though yeah, yeah. so we're all watching each other you're watching for physical movement and you're and then you're going backwards and you're also watching for remembering the scene right and it's incredible and it's a dance and honestly that's how I feel when I'm on set that it's a dance I feel like on, sure. being on set is a very physical world for me. Um, it's just, it's movement. And then once I know where my feet are going, I'm like, okay, now I, now I know where, where I'm at in the world and yeah, yeah. in this environment and I can drop into it. Once, so, sorry. So once you physically know where you are, that helps to anchor you, you mean, or in the other person? Um, in all of it. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, uh, when you, 
get your script to your sides, what's the first thing you do? And is that, I guess the question stems from, is this, the way that you have your working gear process or whatever you want to call it, is it, uh, is it something that's developed over time or is it very similar to when you first kind of learned a way to work? Um, it's certainly developed. I think that what happens, especially with someone who spent so much time training like me, mm-hmm. like a four-year BFA program, a three-year master's program, aside from other things I've done, um, you train that hard so that you can let it go. So that you bring it in when you need it. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that's such a good point. Because I can't, at this point, I can't approach my sides or my um, my my scripts in the same way I did when I was first taking my first acting classes. And right. the way that I wrote things down on that, it would be overkill for where I'm at now. You know, it yeah, would just be, yeah. be too much. So I pull on technique when I need it. Yeah. Um, aside from that, I trust that it's there. And I just have to roll with it. And especially... You know, you, you start to notice those things, especially when I was in the situation on Helix, for example. I think when you're doing series regular or series lead work, theater is incredible. It's an incredible background to have to help you in those situations because it's really about the overall story. So yes. when I first read a script, it's about the story. And of course, I know I'm reading this thing and I try to just, it becomes more of a just, um, it's almost like a, it's like a, it's more animalistic, the feeling that I start to get from the character. It hits me in the gut. Right, yeah. And then I'm just visually going through the script and I'm trying to understand what the stakes and the, the circumstances and all that business are. Like, what's yeah. the story? Right. And how do I fit in and serve the story? Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's, it's like when, when I was on Helix, that was the thing I realized is that sometimes you're getting scripts that are changing the night before. And so I have to understand what's the story... What's the big picture? How do I fit into it? Is this scene about me or is this really about him? And I have to help get him where he needs to be. This is, you know, it's like you have to, it's like being on a team. You have to know when you need to step back and. Yeah. Yeah. And do you have a reference point? I mean, I've seen actors, uh, that have a binder and in that binder they have, uh, like literally written out the points of, uh, how the. The story goes so that when they're shooting, they can reference that and go back. Is there anything like that? Or is it just, you just try and keep the story in your head? No, no, I do have a reference point. What I'll do is I'll, um, depending on how much paper I want to use, depending on what it is that I'm shooting, that block, or um, I'll have the script, the story, so I can go back to it. So typically I would just keep that on my iPad so I could read it. And then each day I have in different dividers. So this is the day and I have... I'll sometimes color code where I'm going to put it for where it's at in this point in the story. Um, for example, I had to do a couple of episodes where my character was sick, but we were block shooting and I was trapped in this one room. Right. And I was doing a lot of, um, I pulled from Laban, this thing that I trained in in grad school and some other movement stuff. But I realized that when I'm in episode four, I'm not quite as sick. But when I'm in episode five, I get really sick. Right. So even makeup has to come back in and do more things. But I had to give myself a physical tracking for each scene yeah. so that I could go back and forth to where I'm at. So I used Laban and I marked it up and I gave myself my actions for each to start each scene and figure out where the, the progression of the scene went. So I that was something I just... I threw that on top of and it gave me something to hold on to. Yeah, it's yeah. Like you're going through the day and... 
I mean, when the camera's on you all day yeah. and it's just all your stuff and it's just, wow, this isn't a really intense <laughs> day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So and for people who don't know, me. well, there's two, a bunch of stuff that came up there. Le Bon is, uh, just give an example of, of Le Bon. It's like, um, it was a, it's a form of movement and dancers used it. Um, a lot of dancers are trained in it. Um, it's like these actions you can slash, you can punch, ring, um, and it's it's um, divided between like time and space and energy. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just this thing that I had trained in, and it was just one of it was just one thing I pulled from my tool belt. That's what I mean yeah, about yeah. Yeah. having technique. You have all these things, and sometimes I'm using them whether I know it or not. Right. I'll be on set, and Richard Brestoff, my teacher from graduate school, he'll be in my head, or my voice teacher Phil. There'll be something about what they said to me that I go, "Oh, I'm doing that again," or "This is what." This this thing this thing this is how I hold on to this character right now. Right. Yeah. Um, just this thing I discovered in their class, you know. Yeah, yeah. So uh, and the color coding thing, you color code the scene, or the the scenes in relation to where they are, where they are in, the, the story. in the story. Oh, that's interesting. That's very cool. So what's when you get your scripter sides? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the first thing that you do? What, what do you when you grab? I mean, obviously, you read it, mm-hmm. and after you've read it, what's the first thing you do? Generally? Do you mean for, say, an audition, or just for? Well, because yeah. an auditions these days they don't typically. Well, sometimes they send the script, but for more they're secret about things. Well, and both, they, really. But let's start audition. When you get your sides for an audition, and generally it's the next day. Yeah. What What do you start doing first? Uh, the first thing I do, um, I look at the breakdown of all the other characters, and. Um, because I get, here's me, and then sometimes the breakdown of your own character can be misleading or can, like, halt you. Like, it can just, like, screw things up for you, honestly. Yeah, yeah. So you have to find, well, whatever, this is me in these shoes. You know what I mean? So you take the clues from it, but I don't spend a lot of time, you know, um, obsessing about my character breakdown. I get the clues from it, and then I move on to who else is in the story. And right. I look at what is the breakdown of the story. And then I start reading the sides and I just look for clues. I read the stage directions because it's so, you get so eager. Like, oh, what am I doing? What is this? Yeah, yeah. How cool is this part? You know? Yeah, right. Oh, well, how much do I have to memorize by tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I just try to slow everything down and just read every detail and get as many details as I can. Right. And then if I have to look up, sometimes it's helpful for me to, because uh, I'm visual. Oh, is this a series that's already been established? And um, I'm reading opposite this woman. Who who is that? Let me look up this character so I can see who the actress is. So it gives me a point of reference about this is her energy. So this is how I would be with you know. Yeah, yeah. I just look for clues, anything that can help me um, figure lock out into the it. And figure yeah. out the world, right? Yeah. Uh, well, and then, then so let's assume you have the, the job and you get a script. What's the first thing you'll do when you get it? Besides reading it, obviously, do you start? Do you, are you, uh, my question uh, really comes uh, is: Are you someone who gets it right in there and starts marking up the page all the time, regardless of what it is? Or are you more inst- inst- uh, instinctual in that regard? It's a bit of both. Right. Um, it depends on if the scene if the scene is coming so easily to me. Um, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to touch it too much and I can trust that on the day I, I know it's going to all be there again this is where I go yeah. back to just relying on years of technique that is just it's there so yeah. if I if I hammer it out too much it might become too calculated and I'm going to kill my yeah. you know that's an important point right that, yeah is that- and but then there are times and I, and I also don't feel like you only use Meisner as an actor you only use like you use what you need to use right. and sometimes 
I'm going to need all these things to prep up and get into the scene and like have to shoot it over and over and over again. And sometimes you don't. Yeah. You know, sometimes that stuff can just get in the way. Yeah. To be perfectly honest. Sometimes it's like, why is that guy crying right now? When, (laughs) you know, he's just pushing the grocery cart and he's got a, you know, it's just, it's like sometimes I think we have to, again, what is your part in the story, right? Right. Like I remember when I was working on Continuum, it was a really great part and I was working with my friend Stephen Lobo, but I'm very aware that I have this wicked recurring role in their final season and my character is this huge like reveal and all this stuff um based off of his character yeah but i remember sitting down and having a conversation with simon when i was trying to work out how i should play out this one specific like intense scene yeah and i thought yeah but here's the thing this is his story this is his series like he's one of the main players yeah my this is not about me this is about how my character affects his character and reveals his story. Yeah, That's yeah. what my purpose is here. Yeah. It's a great role and I'm going to, but I need to figure out how do I best fit in. My job here is to tell that big story. We're not going to go make a spin off of, of my character. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, even yeah. though, like I said, it's a great role is it was a great recurring character in their final season, but I was very aware that this is what I'm here to do. It's not for me to go off in my own little island and get indulgence it's about what is the overall thing that's coming down on him in their final episodes yeah and how do i serve that you know right and uh, conversely sometimes it is about making a whole world for your character sometimes it is you can and i guess uh, you have to know where you're at in the story and just be cool with it you know what i mean yeah yeah well that's exactly it (laughs) well because it's uh, it's a funny thing because sometimes uh, you your ego mm-hmm. in both directions gets involved. Sometimes yeah. you think you don't have to do the work when you do, and sometimes you don't. So how how do you get over that? Because have have you yeah. ever experienced the the thing where I, mean, I have where I'm like I don't need to work on this because I'm uh, I'm I, I got it, but then I don't got it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. Um, something really interesting happened for me a while ago. Actually, the first time this hit me was when I was in graduate school. And what I realized was I know where my place is when it comes to film and TV stuff. I am going to read for, um, and honestly, this is not coming from like an ego place or anything. No, it's just what, it's tell. just who I am. Yeah, yeah. Um, and where we all serve in certain stories. There's a lot of shows I'm not going to be able to get on if I'm a little bit stronger than the lead actress you can't put me on there unless it's about me taking her down and that's right you know it's just it's just what i bring to the table so i'm very aware of when um and a lot of times what i'm reading for are series regulars um and big guest stars like somebody who's going to um have like a certain type of character arc kind of like the thing on continuum it was like a really cool character arc but again it was like a side plot type of thing right so i can do those and those suit me really well but i'm also aware when um there are certain roles that you're just not going to put me in because i'm going to be too much against that actress and i've had people you know in casting i'm like yeah but i did a good audition and my agent gets back to me it they've cut this is the woman playing this part so we can't like I get it, yeah, you know. Yeah. So um, over the years, I've kind of backed away from doing anything that's not going to, like I'm just I'm just reading for things that are only going to be a substantial character, right? So 
what's interesting about that, and especially post helix, it's interesting as you get to a certain level, but then at the same time, you're still kind of held back in a way because what I'm, who I'm losing roles to are huge stars and I'm a working class actress. So I have to play the waiting game and a lot of the auditioning game, like throwing down these, you know, big tapes and just go, I'll get to a certain point, but if they still have a bigger name, I, I have to wait that out. But, um, yeah, I, I just know that that's where I fit. And, and like I said, this, this occurred to me when I was in grad school because I was sitting there in a film class in my third year my teacher gave every single one of us the same scene and it was a lawyer coming out of a courtroom and basically the journalists are pressing the lawyer and then they just kind of go off on this speech. I found the speech to be like a really passionate speech and like the lawyer really cared and all this stuff. I gave myself the, it never occurred to me that I wasn't the star of this movie. Right. It never occurred to me. Yeah. Yeah. It occurred to everyone else in my class (laughs) that they were, like just a lawyer in a TV show and just like doing like a co-star or something yeah. like just, just getting a, just booking a TV job. It never crossed my mind that this wasn't me just working on a little piece of me being the lead of this show. Right. So I go in there, I do it and other people did theirs and I was like, that's interesting or that's interesting. Like everybody had their own thing. Yeah. But my teacher specifically said to me, he was like, so there are going to be some auditions that this is going to be too much because so you have to figure out if you want to go in there and show them the type of actor you are, you might not work for a while because you'll have to wait till that role comes along for you. He's like, but if that's what you want to do and that's who you want to be, then then do it. Yeah. And I thought, okay, cool. And that's the thing is that I don't read for like ever since I came out of school and and part of it could be because we moved up here because I had a kid and, um, but I read for substantial things. I don't, it's unless it's like a super cool, you know, I think that people just thought the amount of training that I spent, the amount of time I spent, you know, and playing leads and these plays and all this stuff, that kind of work. It was really about me playing substantial parts. Yes. Know? Well, there's, well, a bunch of stuff comes up for me there. One of which is, uh, and the most important thing. Well, first of all, I should say that, that, there's there's some well hopefully young actress out there or actor mm. it doesn't matter it's actually uh, who's going like oh she even feels like there's somebody always bigger that's going to be offered the part because really? that never that never ends but well because you've been the lead in a series and you're a very accomplished actor yeah. by all accounts and, uh, and I so, think I think the biggest stars are crying the blues every day because they lost a role to somebody else. To somebody else. Yes, I, and that's a really important point because that it should never not be, ends. That shouldn't get anybody down. That should be uplifting because it's just go. You can release that then. Yes, and go like it never ends. No, nobody's ever made it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Well, not for one second. You make it, and then you're the person. Yeah, but I mean, uh, but but at the same time, yeah. I mean, it's like it's it's all relative. Yeah. I mean, it's and like it's for for people who relative. are. Just offered scripts and all that. That that must be really nice. But I don't but, think um, that even exists. I, 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 you know what I mean? I've like there's always. Uh, to be honest, for me, because I spend a lot of time looking at women in Hollywood and and the changes that I'm hoping to see. But a lot of the big movies from my favorite actresses that are happening is because they produced it themselves. Yeah. yeah. And you know they That's... they got hired along the way and they you know they were they're great and they were able to to build up 
a financial background to be able to put themselves in positions where they could then start learning how to produce and how to make that happen and make those yeah. those things happen. But they're producing their own movies. Yes. Yeah. So if they're like, this is my story and I'd be great in this, I have to do it myself. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the case for everybody, I think. And yes. For the most part. Um, yeah. The other thing that comes up is, as you said, uh, that you were, that you created a whole, like a lawyer that wasn't just a guest star on the show. And I can't just a day player. Just basically. a day player. Yeah. But don't you think, for the most part, that's why we get hired? I mean, like, I always feel like that when I go to an audition and I feel like I'm just filling in the part for the day, I don't usually get hired. It's when I have a whole, like, oh, this guy's got lots of stuff going on, even if that never comes up a lot of times. Because I think there's two things going on there. Like, one is that, you, not unlike myself, you're a very strong personality. Mm. And so... You, there's only there's sometimes there's going to be actors that are the leads in the show that you're not going to play well against because their personality is going to look weaker compared to yours than the production mm. needs. Mm. But that's different than bringing a full life to the character. Wouldn't you agree or no? You think that those are two are intertwined? You mean like what I did with the part? Yeah. It's because my my imagining of that part was that this was the lead of the series when in fact the the sides could have just been a day part, but, a day player. Don't you think right? that you, we should always do that? Um, no. I, well, for me, because those are the types of things I want to read for. But like I said, I don't, I, I read for guest stars or recurrings or series regulars. Mostly series regulars is what I've been reading for when it comes to film and TV stuff. Right. And that, like I said, that's why I'm not working. There's a lot of people I know that are working constantly here in Vancouver, but I don't do those things. Like yeah. there's a lot of things that I don't, I don't audition for that. My agent and I talk about things that I don't want to do, things that she doesn't think I should. It's like there's a there's a game plan, and it, it's um it's a lot more time of me trying to do stuff with my theater company and and just, but you know auditioning for series regulars. Um, if if you're go, but there are people who are there's a lot of actors that are very different from me that they're just happy acting all the time and they will do whatever. Oh, yeah. Um, I've never been that person. I've never been that person. It's it's a just a dog needs to be let out. For the a dog. Yeah. Um, There's no editing. Well, no unless, editing. Unless something comes up that you want me to edit, I'll that, edit. That's it okay. But, but no, yeah, I've. Um, what was I saying? Um, yeah, I, there there are a lot of things that. That's why my agents are great because I'm typically when they send me auditions it's usually something that I would be super excited about. Right. Once in a while, I'll, I'll pass on something if I'm like, eh, it's don't really, you know. Yeah. I, you know, I, I just don't have that ache to have to do every single thing that comes my way where there's some people who are like, I'll do this day part on this, and then I also want to do, they just want to build up credits, 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 and sure. it's just not, it's just not me. Yeah, right. Uh, well, And for people who that is, awesome, but yeah. it's just not me. Yeah, no, and but... But conversely, you will create your own projects on the side, like you said, oh, yeah. theater company and all that kind of stuff, because you want to be doing stuff that's important. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I have to be doing something that I can care about. When you're on set, I mean, like, I, I, generally, to be honest, I don't know if I've uh, I've interviewed anybody with these questions that is as accomplished theatrically as you are, or in the theater as you are. So this, I think, obviously, there's a certain amount of physical warm-up in the theater that's required just technically. Yeah. Uh, um, but... Well, on set, do you warm up physically, emotionally? Do you make a point of it? In uh, I guess, I mean, obviously the emotional thing is only if it, the scene requires it. Yeah. Um, but physically, do you generally warm up? Or are you kind of, are you okay on film and television not warming up because you're trained? It still, it still depends on the scene. Yeah. I, I, it's always, it just depends. Like, um, 
if I'm having to do, I mean, I, I always, I always typically do a bit of a, a vocal warm up. Um, I spent years training Fitzmorris in my graduate school, um, and Knight Thompson speech work. And, uh, and so uh, there's, there's little warmups that I know how to do. I know how to pick and choose the things that work for me quickly when I need it. If I'm feeling just tension that I need to warm up or, you know, it's four in the morning and we had to drive out to whatever to get to set and I have to just get my voice awake, you know, yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. Um, so I'll, I'll do those kinds of things. Or if I need to do physical warm up, if there's a fight scene, of course, dog again, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, no, this it's all good. Hey, Joey. Um, yeah, I just, I just do whatever's required. And then uh, honestly, if I feel like if I warm up, I'll be too pumped for the scene and she's a little more kicked back, then I'm just going to roll in like this. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, right. Um, it just, yeah, it just all depends. I just pull from whatever I need to, uh, from, from what I've been trained in or from my life that I need for, for any particular scene. Which I guess is the, the bottom line there is. Uh, while you're building a toolbox and I guess that never really ends just yeah. keep building a toolbox so you have stuff to pull from when you need it absolutely yeah because and and when you first start out the first I feel like the first methodology you learn becomes like that's gospel yeah. and then as you get to learn more and more you realize oh none of this is all it doesn't apply all the time right it's, it's just a right. Of time. Um, and with theater it's different that also depends on the role for me um so for example just the last couple plays I did I'm thinking um, for disgraced because I had so much blocking and it's so much about my home and about me um, handling the set. And I really, I made contact with everything on the set. Like I'd go in and warm up and I would lay on the floor there on, on that carpet and feel like this is my house and this is where I, this is my world and touch everything in the kitchen and handle the chairs, handle the furniture so that when I'm in there, it feels like this is my stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So any, anything that happens in the environment, a sound that happens, anything I can react to it because this is my home. It's my space. Uh, you know what I mean? Yes, and so that yeah. was part of my, even when I was vocally warming up, it was, I, I had like a physical call and response with the set. I don't know that sounds strange, but, no, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. that's what I would do. And, um, but then for motherfucker with a hat, for example, I need to warm up alone. Um, I would go in there on my own and I would do, um, I had to do physical stuff with that because she was so about her body. It's so in her body. And, um, and it was really about me not, not being comfortable on that set and in that space. So I put my stuff where it needed to be. I would have my business, but she just had so much going on. And then I would go in the, the makeup room and be alone in there and just do my own thing and listen to old nineties hip hop and yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. just do my own kind of my own world. Cause I felt like there was a part of her that was very isolated from everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, you know, it all depends. Yeah. Whatever and works you, for you in the role. And you come up with that stuff instinctually and trust yeah. that you have to trust it. Yeah. I mean like that's like your instincts into the character. If you've been cast in a role, and, um, especially for what happened on that particular play when what they went through and, and to know that they just decided that I was the one for this, for this particular production, yeah. um, then whatever I bring to the table is right. Yeah. Like I have to go with that. Yeah. I have to. Yeah. I mean like, and again, it just comes back to that thing of, of, of being aware of what's, uh, I, well, yeah, sometimes, uh, being aware of what is instinct and what is. Uh, ego and you're not in danger of that but I do I've seen that in the past where an actor will make a choice that's an ego based choice 
Well, you have to... There was something amazing that happened for me when I first got on set on Helix. And I went in to meet with... Because there were so many questions about my character. And she was a bit of a mystery. Mm -hmm. There was a lot that... I mean... A mystery to who? To you or to the A mystery to everyone. To everyone. Because I think that it was... um, Because they have certain relationships that they set up. Failed relationships. And then the circumstances of the virus and the action and all those things that take place. But the way they set her up is that, you know, she shows up in the Arctic with her ex-husband and his brother who is sick that she had an affair with long ago. But you, she's been off in Bolivia somewhere. So it's like, who is she? What is she doing? What is she about? And she never talks about it with him in the first episode or the next one. Right. So those were the episodes that I had gotten and I'd gotten the story. But I went in and I met with the creator because I just wanted to know, like, who is she? Where is she? I just need to know a couple of things. Is this right? And part of that was me just wanting to be a good girl and show up on set and just have all my answers, you know? And there was something so exciting about walking in the office. And then Jeffrey Reiner, who's, he directs pilots. He's did, uh, he was a part of uh, Friday night lights. He's one of the executive producers on the affair. He directs a lot of those. He's, he's brilliant. Um, he's intense, but he's very smart at what he does. Um, but he did our pilot and I walked in and I said, so where, like, where is she from? And he goes, where are you from? And I said, well, and I told him, I said, well, I was born in New York, but I grew up in Colorado. And he's like, that's great. Let's make her from Colorado. <laughs> and then in the, ep- in the series, they made me from Montana. And that was a big part of the story. But it's like because Montana's next door and they wanted to give it a little bit of character. But they, what happened in that meeting that took like five minutes was I said, so what's her thing with the husband? What's this? And he said, just, um, just trust that whatever you have, whatever you are, is what we wanted. And I went... Oh, okay. So honestly, when you go to a callback, you're ripe for it. Sometimes it's just that, you know, you're too tall for that guy or Mm -hmm. you're, you know, or let's face it, this is the industry or you're too fat, you're too skinny, you're too not pretty, you're too this, that, the other, or this person just had a better callback than you, whatever it is. But if you're on set and you're in the makeup chair and whatever it is, Whatever you bring to the table is right. Yeah. So the ego getting in the way is a shame because once you're on set, it's like, well, this is my part. Yeah. So then it just becomes us working out moments with the director. I love being on set because then it's just like, this is mine. The thing that is tricky is getting past that in the audition process. Because at that point, it is a different world. You're just trying to, you're trying to book a job. Yeah. So then you're looking at different things again in the script. They're like, this point B has to happen so point F can happen. You have to go through all the things in order to make this map happen and also bring your unique take to it. It's a little bit more – it's harder to keep the ego out of that. Well, I feel like from what I know of you that you are very successful at knowing who you are Mm. and better than a lot. And and, and like we've talked about already, you bring that to the table whether they like it or not. And uh, and I think that we all need to do that. Yeah. One of the things that gets missed a lot of times when people are looking at actors is that even the greats, even the ones that we look at as the greatest actors of all time, have a certain something they bring to the table consistently that is the essence of who they are, which is what we really want. I think what the audience really wants, and so knowing that and as well as you do, I think can only help you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, interesting that. It's interesting, one of the things that I didn't realize when I was starting out is how uh, how little they sometimes know on a series 
about what's going to happen in the future episodes. <laughs> well, and it can change. Right. So they're, they're, they're honestly, it changes sometimes yeah. in the minute. Yeah. And, and sometimes that's why I say a theater back, background is great for people who become series regulars because you are looked on to make decisions with them in the moment. Yeah. Um, not everyone who's a regular, but I, I certainly was in a position where it just became, I'm, I'm, I'm helping shape whatever's going to happen with this character. And she's such a big piece of the story and, yeah. and of the puzzle that it's just, I have to, again, I just have to trust why I'm here. Yeah. And I think another piece about that, I, I figured out a long time ago, I'm not, I'm not good at hiding who I am. I don't like being false in any way. I don't like, um, it took me a while to understand even the business side of this about like when you have to go to parties and things, I was like, I hate schmoozing. I hate schmoozing. I had to go, oh, it's not necessarily what what it is. You don't have to be that person. Whereas a lot of people are very good at those types of things. For me, if I don't have a connection, it's, I'm not going to force it, you know? So even with auditioning, like I just want to walk in and do it. You know what I mean? Like I'm not necessarily somebody who's going to talk about what everyone's wearing or do some ridiculous, you know, like schmoozing situation of BS talk. I just want to get to it. You know what I mean? Right. I'm the same way. Yeah. Um, how much do you think about the technical side of performance in, well, I mean, both the theater and film. One of the things I noticed about you when I saw Disgraced was that it, you made it look effortless to be in a big room. That's a pretty big room uh, uh-huh. on, on Stanley. Um, and you didn't make it, it didn't seem like it was a big room and that's not always the case. Um, so how much do you think about the technical side of performance or do you think about, you know, where the lighting is, how the lighting affects you, your performance? Does that play in at all? Yeah, it does. It does because um, that's that's the fun challenge of of technical. Whether you're on, you're on set or you're on stage, I think that sometimes the technical stuff on set is that the camera is like right there, or you're having, you know, whatever it is. Um, the boom operator. There's always somebody like in your personal space that becomes a part of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, on that stage in particular, it's if I'm not. If I don't face out some of the blocking that happened in the first part to introduce the show and the way it's written is so... It's like you have to warm the audience up for what they're in for. It's a really hard start of a play. I've never had such a hard start of a play. Yeah. And it was a challenge just to figure out what... How do I punch out this monologue and have it make... Be a natural... I don't know. It's tricky for anybody who knows the play. But... Um, He's, he's here, you know, he's, he's to my left and I have to make sure that I'm opening up when I'm speaking to the right side of the audience because that, that particular theater doesn't actually have very good acoustics. Right. Um, so it's tricky, you know, you, you have to make sure that you're technically, you could be in a very intimate situation, but I have to make sure that my voice is carrying and that I'm, you know, when it comes to. The rehearsal process, I don't like getting blocked in too early. So I really, that's why I do my homework, my actor homework with what I want to do with the character. And I make my own relationship with the set so that when I get to rehearsal, I move. Because actors who don't move, actors who don't walk onto set or onto their stage and just stand there and decide that they're a puppet for the director to put somewhere, (laughs) that is so unfulfilling. And why are you doing this? I don't understand it. But like when I walk onto a set, when I walk onto a stage, I I go in, I look at the environment, I think through what I want to do with the scene, and I move. Right. Because if I'm, again, if I'm not physically like connected, then then I'm a puppet and you're going to notice. And then the director's like, okay, we have to, 
work with her to get her to uh it doesn't go well for me i need to i need to feel like i'm connected yeah yeah right you know and on film do you um do you use the the lighting for example or the camera as a way to punctuate your performance in in a sense is that something you think about or not at all is it just wherever they put the lights you work with it or do you help does that sometimes affect your performance i guess is the question no um well, well it does in a sense of you start to learn that because the things i've worked on it's um we work fast you know like yeah. um it's a lot of these shows even if they have money unless it's a you know like huge budget like they work fast and so i'll know that oh i get it if i do if i do too much blocking right here they have to do a whole other setup and that's going to what if i just when this character leaves a room i'm just going to take their mark mm-hmm. and then i'll turn back i can save the moment by if i just turn in this way then we can get the two shot here but I can have still. I don't want to end up on the editing room floor, you know. What right. I mean? Like so. Yes. So you do think about that stuff. I do think about it absolutely, course, and yeah. I also like hit your marks. Yeah. You have to be a technically. I, I've been on set with people, um, and watch them get cut out of scenes because they just don't care about the focus puller and hitting the marks. I'm thinking, what do you think these people are doing all day? Yeah. Like spending all this time. Uh, measuring, putting the tape, like go to your mark or you will not be in the scene. Yeah. You know, and you're screwing up the shot, whatever it is. Well, and I felt, I feel, and, and, and tell me if you agree that I actually use that as a way of, uh, of informing the performance. So yeah. my performance changes if, if it's a really, you know, whatever, if they're on a really tight lens, my performance will be smaller and I'll use that though, as opposed to feeling like it restricts you. You can oh, go, totally. you know, right. Yeah. yeah. Or, or if the lighting is a certain way and your character's, a certain way that you, if you turn into lighting, you can use it to punctuate a line and you know where it is. If you're, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it's not to, as a way of saying, as opposed to, cause that could be taken that it's, uh, that being technical as a negative of like, as a restriction on performance, which is, I think, cause I come from a theater background as well. And mm-hmm. I, I felt like when I first started working in film and television, that, uh, that those things were restrictions. And I've only s- subsequently realized that those things are actually very freeing. And, uh, uh yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll work with the, I feel, as, uh, especially when you're working on a series and you become closer with the camera, they're there, the camera operators are there every single day and the DP, whereas your directors may change in and out. Right. And I got to a point where I would, if I needed another one, I remember asking, because I'm like, if I was close with my camera A operator, if it was like Jeff Ward, I was like, do I need another one? Like he knows oh, me. Oh, really? He knows oh, me more wow. than... Right the directors that are coming in right. even maybe more than the dp because the dp is watching for the overall thing whereas he's right with me he yeah. is with me every single shot that i've ever been in this guy was you know yeah. in my face I, so it's like he knows me he knows he when i suck an and he knows when no he would he was he learned that like i'd want i'd say like guys if i'm not in the right spot just tell me you know like let's not act like it's so inappropriate to to work with me go right. ahead and work with me mm-hmm. you know so that's the main thing. When I walk on a set, I make friends with the camera operators first yeah. because those are the people you're working with more um, than anything. The actors, you're gonna, you'll, you'll figure out your thing, but you want to be on the same team as the camera guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the directors, like you say, change all the time. Yeah, uh, but I, I also, so you can use absolutely the camera becomes like that's who you're dancing with the whole time. And yeah. but with lighting, I don't really notice as much as that. I found that I, I. I didn't want to get held back by having to look pretty mm. or look a certain way for things. Um, like our industry does that so much. And I, I felt like a lot of the roles I got into play, like I just thought, I just want to be in it. I don't want to have to go 
try to crawl around and watch playback and do all these things. Like it's not my business. Yeah. It's, it's not my business. So yeah, like, yeah. I, like I just have to trust what I'm doing. If I'm in the right spot, just do my job and not worry about what it looks like, but just be where I'm supposed to be and, and tell the story. That's what I have to focus on. How, how much thought do you give to that kind of thing? I mean, how much thought do you give to the aesthetics of the industry and uh, as it pertains to specific characters or just in life in general, or do you try and kind of release that? Um, I try to release it. I guess, I guess part of it has to do with the shows that you work on mm-hmm. and what their particular thing is. There are some shows that are, my God, it's like if someone's hair is out of place, you know, like they're so particular about so many things. And there's some shows that are more nitty gritty and it's just, you just see people, which is, that's interesting to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you have to, it's a bit of both. I think you have to find the balance. Like I try to, in my real life, just be as comfortable with myself as I possibly can. Just, just be happy. You know, mm-hmm. I remember the other day I went to a theater audition actually for the arts club and, um, I was putting on makeup and my son came down the stairs and he's like, ah, oh, you're putting on makeup. And I was like, well, it's a theater audition. They have to be able to see me. Cause mm-hmm. I, I, and, uh, and he said, but that's the point. He's like, if you put it on, then they can't see you mom. And oh. I was like, wow. But I was really proud of that because he's used to seeing me in my own skin and yeah. that I'm okay with myself. You know yeah. what I mean? And I'm not saying that it's like a bad thing to put on makeup or any of that no. stuff, but it's, but I do think that we have to spend time just, really accepting who we are and being in our own skin because this industry can be brutal to people, you know? Um, so you have to find the artistry and why you're doing it Mm. so that you can get through all those things because it could be detrimental to a person's, you know, yeah, you have to, yeah. 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 There's always somebody uh, who's going to say something nasty to you. Well, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how much, uh, and just one last point on that, that I, I, this is the thing that I do, is that uh, is, it's, uh, it's about the industry is not looking for people to look a certain way. They want to look the healthiest version of themselves. Yeah. And it's a thing that gets misinterpreted all the time yes. by people, and especially young actors. So if there is young actors out there, just be the healthiest version of just yourself. Just be the healthiest. Yeah, be comfortable with yourself. Be, take you, care of yourself. Which is a recurring theme in this particular interview is just be like be find out who discover who you are yeah. and be you to the fullest of you. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where it's like, Oh, if you want to, uh, if you want to play an action hero, then you have to understand what that entails. So you yeah. can't get mad if somebody says, buddy, why you've been eating fat burger every day. You know <laughs> right. I mean? yeah, it's yeah. like, that's just, you have to understand what you signed up for. Yeah. So that's part of it. And then just take it with a grain of salt and you know, be easy with yourself. Yeah. 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 How much thought do you give to backstory? That's not in the text. So do you create mm-hmm. that or do you, is it a case by case basis or you generally, do you always create it? No, I don't always create it. I think it's case by case. If, if I need it, I create it. If I don't need it, it'll just get in the way. Yeah. 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 So if it's, sometimes it can be, sometimes it can screw up what the writer's intention is. Right. So, right. so I think that you have to be, you have to really understand how to break down a script on your own. You have yeah. to really be about story before you can, you know what I mean? Like you, you have to know. What is this about? How does my character serve this story? Because, you know, if you start bringing in too much stuff that has nothing to do with what the scene is about, then you've just, you've screwed everything up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, um, but if there's, there's something you need in order to connect and it's a moment and it's, you know, then, then go for it. Like bring whatever you have to the table. But I think you have to really, again, you have to be a team player. You have to know what you're there for. Right. Yeah. That's a very good point. 
Um, but for example, if if so, if you say if your line is you know me and my dog went for a walk every day when I was twelve years old, mm. you would think about what that dog looks like, or would you not even bother? Would you just? Uh, it wouldn't even be something that occurs to you. No, just, I guess I would. You would think about it, or just not so much. That's tricky. But I mean. If I had to talk about my cat or something, because I've never yeah. had a cat, and I'm kind of afraid of cats. Yeah. <laughs> I would, uh, yeah, I guess I would just uh, substitute what it feels like to have a pet. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I wouldn't get too um, specific. Yeah, I feel it, it, it's a, it's a balance. Like I, I mean, it's it, whatever is as long as it keeps me in this particular story and what mm-hmm. I'm trying to do to the other actor, you know. The more interested I am in them and what I'm supposed to be here for, then the more interesting I'll become. Yeah. If so, it's like if I get too much in my own thing. Yeah. But if there's a reason I'm telling this story about my dog, then it's probably what I'm trying to do to you. And give, yeah. Yeah. Give me an example of because uh, you talked a lot about serving the story. So on Helix, how did your character serve the story? Do you think like if you can sum it up in a way that's not too too. I know that's a hard thing. I, that's and maybe not even a fair question. So you can pass if you'd like to. But could you sum it up? How did your character serve that story in a in succinct way, or is that too hard? Oh, that's kind of hard because yeah. it's. Um, it was case by case. You know what it is. This is how I can answer that. Um, I stuck to my guns about what I learned with our first episode and my first meeting with this with the pilot director they chose and the show creator the guy who created this character and the ideas they gave me surrounding her. And anytime, um, especially after they were gone and things changed and got a new, you know, a showrunner that when things started to change, say second season, whenever something came up that I felt like wasn't grounded in who she, who the root of her, who she was, Mm -hmm. I would bring it up and I would ask for changes Yeah, because so for example, um, because her quietness, how you never really knew how she felt about the people in her life. That was one of the great things I loved about the character because she was so beautifully flawed. Right. Like she was screwed up. Um, and she had better things to deal with. She's trying to like save people or, or she's dealing with who am I and who's my father and what am I and what's going on. And there would be some scenes where there's, um, there's a, a younger doctor who is now basically working with my ex-husband and they're together now. And there'd be scenes where her and I are together in a room, basically with the Petri dishes and the, the science lab and all the equipment, and we're trying to come up with, uh, with a cure. Yeah. And we're working on all of this stuff. And there's all these things that we're talking about to, to get back to the cure. And then they would write this dialogue at some point that was about the ex-husband. And I would go back to them and say, I would never talk to her about him. I would never say anything because that's not who Julia is. This was something so specific and I would never get nasty to her. I would always, you know, it was in private moments that she would reveal what was really going on with her. And that's so much more interesting in the story because it's all these missed opportunities. You know, the, the, the audience wants to know, are they ever going to is, you know, because people, you have to have romance in the show. You have to have those things going on. But I would just present to them, this isn't who she is. She doesn't, she doesn't go down this road. Yeah. Like, no matter what circumstances happen, we have to stay true to the character. So I would ho- help stay on track with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, how, do you, how do you care deeply about something 
and then also at the same time release control? Or do you like to control uh, your performance to a certain respect? Um... Because you obviously care deeply. I mean, I just, I'm assuming that, and you obviously do. Um, uh, it, it becomes a danger sometimes of having a little bit too much control. We've talked about it a little bit. So how do you, do you, do you think about that at all, or is that something that just... No. No. Um, I, I, I don't... Uh, I think that once, you're, once you know what's going to serve the story best, and you're there to do your job... And then you just have to be open to working with your directors. And um, I'm not really worried about that. I don't, um, you do what you do. And then if the director has another idea and it is also serving the story, then you just, you just keep, you work with each other to, to open those things up. So you just trust the moment. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So um, have you achieved a place where you feel that you're confident that you know what you're doing? <laughs> you, were, uh, uh, you, you must have, right, at some point. Have you achieved that yet? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel... For me, again, it always goes back to story. That there's a point when once I know what's going on and I know myself, I know how I serve the story, and once I figure out those things, I know in my heart that this is the best way for me in these shoes to play this moment, right. to, to be in this moment and serve your story. Yeah. Like those are the things that I'm absolutely confident in when I discover those moments. Um, but I always, I always have these moments of, Oh my gosh, I'm just now figuring this out. Or I've never had this situation happen on set before. I've never done this before. This is incredible. I didn't know I could do this. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm, it's honestly, it's a place of always living right in the middle of trusting and owning where you've been. Like at this point, I'm a grown ass woman with two degrees and two kids and I've earned all of it. <laughs> I, so, so it's like, I'm a grown up, and you know, it's like, I'm not 20 anymore where right. I can just, I need to be, I need a little bit more and I need a little bit more validation. Sometimes it's like, this is just where I'm at and I'm always going to keep open to growing. And there's a little bit, there's a little bit more openness, I think, because I'm okay with who I am and what I've become, yeah. you know? Have, have, you're the first person that I'm going to ask this to. Have you always felt that? That's because you seem like you may have always felt that, that, <laughs> that sense of, of confidence or, and that you know what you're doing. Or did it come at some point you go like, now I know? Um, gosh, when it comes to being, when it comes to this, when it comes to performing, mm -hmm. I've always felt it when I felt I knew the story mm -hmm. and I felt my place in the story. Um, there have been times where out of, I think, just society habits or whatever it is that I felt like, oh, maybe I'm not, I need to get this first before I'm allowed to go to this certain place. You know what I mean? Like, did I, um, did I pass this certain test in order to be able to say that I can you know, do this or mm -hmm. I can start directing or I can, do I need this stamp of approval from whoever, you know? Yeah. Um, I did, I did, I've had those moments before and then I get really frustrated by it because I'm thinking, yeah, but who, why do I, why do I need, why did I need that yeah. in order to feel that it was okay for me to keep moving forward? Right. Um, which has been a great learning lesson for me and not signing up for every single, you know, person's acting classes that are going around right. because yeah, yeah. Sure. It's 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 tricky. Like I have to trust that some sometimes I'm 
I just love learning and I love training and mm-hmm. playing around. But then I go in there and if somebody's going to have a hard time with me because I happen to have gone to school a lot longer than they have, it's a terrible experience. Right. Yeah, of course. So I've had to go, wait a second, maybe I don't need that. I didn't need that stamp of approval. I'm okay. If I need something, why don't I go take a movement class? Why don't I go work on myself in a different way yeah. and, and really be okay with, I have to spend time trusting, really trusting who I'm going to put myself in those rooms with from right. now on. When do you feel fulfilled as a performer? Are there, what, what are the roles that you can say like that was the thing that fulfilled me? Is it, is it the story or the role, I guess is the question. I feel fulfilled when I feel that an audience connected to it. That I feel like mm-hmm. all the pieces came together and somebody like got it. That they intellectually got it. They emotionally got it. That it, they were like, that they were in it. And the story was told. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't, I feel like crap. Right. You know? Um, and sometimes... Sometimes that can be the fulfillment, like playing dis- the role in Disgraced. It was it was miserable to play that part. I just I, I I didn't like her, and I it was it was a hard thing to do every night. But I knew what how important it was to tell that story and be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Just felt like crap when it was over. But so it wasn't necessarily fulfilling. But it was wonderful that the audience got it. Mm-hmm. To realize that the audience got this, yeah. they 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 they're registering this. That's that's great. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's. I feel I feel really good when I feel that the audience has has been in it. There are some roles that are just so fun to play. You know, like you just feel like ah, I can't wait to get in that yeah. again. But um, but sometimes it's not easy. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how much do you think about marketability? I guess we talked about this a little bit already, but uh, do you think about that a lot? I think about it. I don't enjoy thinking about it. Um, <laughs> there's no exception to that rule, I don't think. No. Not in my experience, anyway, there's no exception to that rule. Uh, of I really, I really don't like it, and I actually have some strong opinions about it. Um, Which are? Uh, and, and I mean, I, 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 I come at this from a point of view as a woman and as a mother, uh, my kids are everything to me, you know, and I, I started having children before I started having any kind of career in film and TV, you know? So, I mean, I was doing theater, so it was always about the story and the artistry and all these things. That's where I came from. And then I had brought a kid into the world and a little girl. Um, I get super frustrated about the way the marketability, the way that works, that it's like, all these young and not even not as young actresses that it's about showcasing. I mean, their Instagram pages are full of half nude pictures and then, and it's okay to like feel sexy and put out sexy images here and there and do your brand sometimes. And I totally get that. And I'm a part of a certain brand and I'm, I'm comfortable with what my brand is and that's fine. But to have that be all you're about in order to get, your 10,000 followers or something. And then in your next image, talk about how you're breaking glass ceilings. I just feel like we're not helping put women in front of and behind the camera in a way that is truly serving our society. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm tired or truly of reflective of our society because women are not always sexual objects. I mean, there are other things no. as, as well. Like it's yeah, but, it, but I feel like it's often how people, how young women try to get ahead is, mm-hmm. is that, and, right. and that's how they do in a lot of ways still. And I just think it's, it's kind of unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So the marketability thing really bothers me. I really wish it could just be about let's put the right person in the part mm-hmm. and tell stories about real people. And I do think that we're trying to move into that place, but um, the marketing thing is is a tricky business, and I, I don't enjoy it. Yeah. Um, how much energy do you spend creating your own projects? A lot. Yeah, it's important to you, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I uh, the question really is how important is it to create your own projects? I think. Um, and you would suggest that it's, is, I mean, you suggested at the beginning of the conversation, there's maybe nothing more important. Um, for me, uh, I don't think that every actor is a writer or a producer. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are, it takes all kinds of us, right? Like I said, there, there are some actors out there that are so good at the, the business and the salesman side of being an actor. And they just, they can just charm their way into rooms and into sets and into, jobs and just keep that career going and be perfectly happy and, and love playing any kind of thing. And like, it takes all kinds of us, right? Yeah. The type of person I am, I couldn't, I couldn't be a part of this at all unless I had one eye in creating my own projects. Yeah. It's just as important to me, just as important to me as trying to book a job. Yeah. Um, for the fulfillment, for the fulfillment and for where I think that I'm most needed. Right. Um, how important is your life outside of being an actor to your life as an actor? Do you feel it's important or do yeah. you keep them separate? Um, do you mean like how your life affects being an actor? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. I guess the happiness of your life outside of being an actor or is it, mm. is it just a job? You mean it is, is what's going on in my acting career, how that affects... For the opposite is what I mean. How, how, what, what goes on in your life? How much does it affect what goes on in your acting career? I think it affects everything. I mean, I think that um, whatever whatever's happening in your life, you 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 got to bring it to the table. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's uh, it only it's like you can't deny who you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so whatever's happening, I, I always have this thing of I think it's best to just start where you're at. Yeah. And then you have to find something truthful in order to get into the scene, and that just might be the unique part of you or piece of you in that day that helps you either book a job that you really want or connect to the scene in a way that you didn't expect. Yeah. But denying anything about what's going on is, I don't think it's useful. I think you have to find a way to use it. Yeah. Yeah. I have a couple more questions and then I'll let you get back to your life. Uh, what, uh, these are esoteric. So why do you act? If sum it up, I like being a part of telling stories where you can make, even if it's just one person, feel like they're not alone. Oh, God, that's a beautiful answer. <laughs> um, and if you could ask your idol, uh, no, you know what? Do you have an idol actor? Do you have actors that you idolize? Or does it just change all the time? It changes a lot. It depends on the role. Like there's a lot of people that have done certain roles and I'm like, that role was just incredible. There was something they did with it. Yeah. Yeah. Is, um, do you ever have, I mean, like I created this podcast because I wanted to ask, ask actors, there's these questions, these kinds of questions. Is there mm-hmm. a question that you always typically want to ask, uh, people that, that you admire or is it, is there nothing that comes to mind? It's okay if there's nothing that comes to mind about how they I'm work. I'm always fascinated by, um, I'm fascinated by when you see an actor reveals something so truthful 
that they're really in something that they're bringing to this story. And clearly it's something that they're, they're connecting with. There's something about them that's connecting with, whether it's like a deep darkness or a sadness or a joy. When you see something that truthful, I'm just always curious about like, what was it? You know, like that moment, what was that? Yeah, and I mean, it happens whenever you see somebody like really in something that's like, I'm just so fascinated by that is the fascinating piece. When you see the, the peak of something very raw, you just want to know where it came from. Yeah. And, And that's the fun mystery of watching it all go down, you know? Um, yeah. So, and the last question, what's the job of the actor specifically in the storytelling world? To become the character, to make it about the story and about this person that they have to, um, they have to become, to bridge the gap between them and the, and the character and be as truthful in that as possible in telling the story. Yeah. And, and what does that do for our society, do you think? Um, well, I think what it does is it, it can teach people about a world that maybe they don't understand. If, if they see the truth in a person and they get to watch a story go down and um, it opens up something that maybe they were curious about or didn't know about or identified with, it, it, it's about connection. It's about connecting to real life. Like if you can take a good story and if it's done well and the actor does their job, um, then the audience can walk away with something and then... Hopefully that that carries into their everyday life the way they see the world. You know that's what a great story can do. Yeah, great. Kira Zgorski, thank you so much thank for being on acting.